Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe we have been having in-depth conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. Season 5 had some great adaptations, like our Meryl Streep Oscar-nominated performances series. We covered adaptations like Kramer vs. Kramer, Sophie's Choice, and The French Lieutenant's Woman. It's a real Sophie's Choice between those books. <laughs> you see what, I, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's quite at the level of a real Sophie's Choice. We also did Snowpiercer for our Bong Joon-ho series, adapted from the French graphic novel Le Transpersonnage. Man, I love that movie. We had our two-part 1939 series that included adaptations like Gone with the Wind, Ninochka, The Women, and The Hound of the Baskervilles. A number of those 1939 movies, like Goodbye, Mr. Chips, also tied into our recent 1940 Academy Award Best Picture nominee series. Our naughty children horror series had creepy adaptations like The Bad Seed, Village of the Damned, The Innocents, and Children of the Corn. For our Hayao Miyazaki series, we talked about his take on Lupin III with the Castle of Cagliostro, plus his own The Wind Rises. Some great listener choice picks, too. Viridiana and The Great Escape. And for our David Mamet Wright's series, The Verdict, The Untouchables, and Glengarry Glen Ross. Plus, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from our Shane Black series adapted from Brett Halliday's novel, Bodies Are Where You Find Them. Dive into the sources for all of these at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support the show. Check out thenextreel.com slash originals today and find your next read. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. It was it was an absolutely... I mean, I know we're going to be talking about trailers, but mm-hmm. it was a bananas like week for trailers. Yeah, good week. Was it crazy? I mean, you know, I mean, this over the last week, the big, big trailers... We've had uh, what Jane got a gun last week. Looks great. Uh, Legends of Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you've been waiting for uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Out of the Shadows. Uh, That's all I dream about. I know that that is true. Uh, mm-hmm. The BFG. What? The BFG. The Brothers Grimsby. Uh, the Brothers Grimsby. X Men yes. Apocalypse. That one surprised me. I didn't see that one coming at all. I didn't either. I heard a little bit about Ind- Independence Day Resurgence. I know you're excited about that. <sighs> Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. That one's that one's the one that's uh that's all up hot in Nerdville right now. That's the one. Yeah. I'm, Fast I'm and excited the about it. in space. I'm excited about it. I'm I'm on the record. I think and I posted this on on Twitter. I think all y'all are getting all up in yourselves and you shouldn't. It could actually be uh fun. Well, it's a it's a trailer. It's cut like a trailer. It's very active, you know. I I mean it does have the Justin Lin, Fast and the Furious look to it, but I don't know. I I'm going to reserve judgment till I actually see the movie because I think it could be fun. I I too am reserving judgment until I see the movie. <laughs> who, do, who does it? Yes, plenty uh, of people. Plenty beat. of people. You're right, plenty and I realize people. as I was saying that I probably do too, uh, to some extent. But I'm you know again trying not to be uh, overzealous in my. Yes. about this and and you know what we actually got uh some follow-up can i do some pre-credits follow-up do it nick langdon made me the happiest guy in the world <laughs> copy he posted on our site uh i wanted to express my disagreement says nick with the contention that pete is unforgiving about upcoming movies based on their trailers in fact i would say quite the opposite his enthusiasm for films is charmingly optimistic that's what you. do you think about that i think that's cute Right? Yes. That's me. He also goes on to say that, uh, uh, to remind me, as he was listening to our Dark City episode, where I was talking about The Hangover Part 3. Right. Yeah. He calls he calls the third one almost laugh-free, fails to realize characters like Alan and Chow only ever work in very small doses and cannot carry a film. Even John Goodman was wasted. I, and, you know... Yes, I I mostly agree. I got some chuckles out of Hangover 3. Uh but it I I will leave it at this. It wasn't the best of the series. <laughs> <laughs> so politically correct of you. <laughs> he does also just before we leave that he, he wrote quite a, a a hefty post and he he writes about uh, uh John Landis's overlooked 1985 classic Spies Like Us. Love it. Uh-huh. Huge fan. Of spies like us, we Everything. need to find a way to build that into a series. Yes, we do. Uh, and he does ask the question of our series right now, uh, Harold Ramis series, 
and we stop at Ghostbusters. I mean, we don't do Ghostbusters. Yeah, we stop just before just Ghostbusters. Just before Ghostbusters. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't I feel, remember why we decided that. I feel like there was a reason that we had, like, maybe down the, down the road we would do a, a Ghostbusters series. Mm, so we were, like, we were preparing. I feel like that's what happened. All right. Good. Well, that's I was ju- wondering hey, it's that justified. too. I feel good. <laughs> yes. We planned that. <laughs> totally planned that. Uh, what uh, else? Do we have any other any other uh, follow-up? I don't think so. Let's tell the people where we're from. Where are we from? This is The Next Reel on Rashpixel.fm, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hello, hello, hello. And we spoil movies tonight on the show, the final of our Harold Ramis series, with the 1983 road tripper National Lampoon's Vacation. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com, subscribe to the show on iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you've ever whistled zippity doo dah out of your dark places, you're a part of that special family who should join us on The Next Reel's Instagram, hashtag PonyPrize, hashtag GuessTheMovieChallenge. And with that, let's zippity doo dah to Scotland and check in with our favorite Marty Moose lover, Stephen Smart. Hey guys, this week we had Hollywood's answer to Priscilla. It was Too Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar from 1995. Directed by Bibin Kidron and starring Wesley Snipes and Patrick Swayze. This week we had First Time winner at Everyday Avant Garde who got it on Image 2 and is entered into the Pony Prize hat. As always, a new challenge starts Friday, so thanks guys and... See you later. Meanwhile, back in the States, our dear friend of the show, Ben Lott, wrote in with a blot spot. He said, I mostly agree with your opinions on Stripes. It definitely peaks at the razzle-dazzle, but I still chuckled a little bit after that point. I really love the beginning, probably just because of my affinity for Bill Murray, but I'll agree the mud wrestling was a serious low point. Did they think some part of that would be funny? The biggest flaw for me in the film is that the main characters show no real growth. Most movies with the slacker-turned-hero plotline have the slackers show genuine signs of improving, but they never do that in Stripes. At the end, they are just as incompetent as they were in the beginning. Your rank 193 out of 214, my rank 125 out of 214. It is it is totally a celebration of mediocrity start to finish. It really is, and that's, you know, we didn't bring that up much in the episode, but... Yeah. It was something that I definitely noticed because Bill Murray is looking for a change in his life and joins the army. And then that's, you know, <laughs> that's it. That's, really that's it. the change. And that's that's maybe why the movie is so good just in the first half, because that's the change. That's yeah, all but, you get. <laughs> yeah. I, there's a reason I ranked it one and a half stars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think uh, it's probably time, Andy. Let's do let's do trailers. Uh, I'm going to do my trailer because it is absolutely not a trailer that uh, that uh, we just talked about. It's not. I don't want people to miss this trailer or this movie because it is beautiful. I'm talking about Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, this is uh, from uh, director Travis Knight, uh, writers Mark Hames and Chris Butler. Uh, it is a really beautiful original animation 
from I mean this is this Travis Knight has been part of of Coraline and Paranorman and Box Trolls and Kubo uh, really is just sort of a continuation in that thread of stunningly beautiful non Disney Pixar animation and I'm just really touched by it um, the the uh, the trailer itself. Um, you know, showcases the uh, Kubo and, and this normal life in a in a shoreside shore shoreside shoreside village <laughs> down uh, by the shoreside down by the shoreside uh, until a spirit from the past turns his life upside down by reigniting an age old vendetta. Uh, stars Rooney Mara, Charlize Theron, Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Ralph uh, Ralph Ray finds you know he likes me to call him Ralph. He does like that. Uh, and uh, you know, don't forget George Takai. Uh, and others. It is a fantastic uh, voice cast, a beautiful animation, a just lovely work of art trailer, and I'm really excited to see this one. Yeah, I am too. I had, uh, somebody had mentioned it to me and that uh, Rooney Mara was in it. It's like, oh, that sounds kind of like an interesting an interesting thing. And then I, I hadn't heard anything else about it for a while until you sent me this trailer. And I was like, oh, that's that movie. And it really just just is stunning to look at. I um, I love that style of stop motion animation and I, those films that uh, he's been involved with, I really do enjoy quite a bit. And this one looks to be just another one in that group. I really can't wait to see this one. It just looks it just looks beautiful and looks like it'll be a really interesting story. It does. I, you know, it took me a long time to see Box Trolls. It came out and I, for some reason, missed it and I never got the kids to it. We watched it on family movie night here at the house not too long ago. And all of us, uh, you know, just around the around the TV said, I just can't wait to see more of that. Yeah. Um, and, and this really seems like it capitalizes on that for me. Uh, looks like it's going to hit August 19th, 2016 in the U.S. So um, uh, be on the lookout uh, oh, that's a ways away. I know, I know. That's disappointing. It's like late summer, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it won't hit our uh, it won't hit our friends in the UK until September. Norway, Sweden, October seventh. Uh, Australia, New Zealand. So sorry, you won't be seeing this until November twenty fourth, twenty sixteen. That's kind of heartbreaking. I guess it makes sense considering it's pretty short. So I guess we would call this a teaser. We'll give it a. We'll, we'll call it a we'll, teaser. We'll give it a teaser All label. Right. There you go. What's yours? Mine is a just a really stunning trailer uh, for a film coming out called High Rise, which uh, is directed by Ben Wheatley, who has directed some uh, looks to be... I, I'm not familiar with him, but they, it looks to have directed some uh, horror films and that sort of ilk and uh, kind of psychological sorts of things. Um, this one, what I love so much about this trailer, I mean... Trailers can so often give too much away, and it can be very frustrating because there's a balance between marketing and getting people excited paired with doing a really creative job, an artful job of of telling just enough of the story to get people, uh, to give people that glimmer that will draw them in. And you've got that marketing machine trying to cram uh, all of the good stuff down people's throats to get them in, paired with the, the people trying to pare that down and do something a little more uh, creative with it. What I love about this trailer is it doesn't give you a lot about what the story really is, but it still gives you enough to make you really excited. At least it did that for me. This is a film with Tom Hiddleston as uh, looks like he's a, a doctor and he lives in this high rise tower where basically it has uh, 
a full society spectrum in it where the people at the top of this tower are the 1%. And you kind of go down, you've got the middle class in the middle, and down at the bottom, you've got the the lower class. It's Snowpiercer, but a building. Right. It's Snowpiercer in a building, exactly. And um, But basically, everybody in this tower all of a sudden starts going out of control. Or at least what it sounds like is it sounds like the people in the 1%, uh, or at least the, the upper echelons of this building, kind of go a little... Um, I don't know, power crazy, and they start basically kind of taking people out in the building. It sounds really interesting, but you don't get much of that in the in the trailer, which is great. You just get hints of things, and it's very exciting. Uh, Tom Hiddleston, I already mentioned, Jeremy Irons, Sienna Miller, Luke Evans, Elizabeth Moss, just all great people, and the list goes on. So this looks like a really interesting film, and I really can't wait to see it. It doesn't open, I think it opens March in the UK, and then it's going to be a little later for the U.S., I believe it's going to be, uh, I don't know if it's been announced yet, but it'll be um, sometime probably later next year. Well, what'd I, you, you I agree with it? you. Absolutely haunting uh, sort of tableau in this trailer. And I'm right with you. It is, you know, it was called, uh, some have called it the perfect trailer. And I think in that regard, uh, it really is. I mean, it's it gives you exactly what you want. Visuals from the film with really very, very little uh, narrative. And uh, um, I, I did what it needed to do for me. I'm, I'm really fascinated by it. Of course, we have a long list of these sort of early promotional videos, films that have, have tried these, these sorts of tactics and end up being, you know, less than stellar. I'm thinking of Prometheus uh, right now. Like these, we had some really cool early um, kind of uh, promotional videos from that film that ended up really ultimately being disappointing. So I hope this isn't one of those, uh, because I I agree I like seeing I like seeing him take some risks, as do I. Andy, yes. Somebody better explain, or there'll uh, there'll be a lot of explaining to do. This summer, when you think vacation, think National Lampoon's Vacation. See the real America. Hey, underpants. Hey, yellow. It's friendly. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> Don't you want to look at the Grand Canyon? It's educational. Great. And most of all, it's fun. The dog went on the picnic basket. Let Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, Imogene Coca, Randy Quay, John Candy, and Christy Brinkley. Well... Are you going to go for it? This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. Take you for a ride. This summer, when you think vacation, think National Lampoon's (laughs) Vacation. Better check under the hood. We're heading on the road with the Griswold family, Andy, in 1983's National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, this is obviously directed by Harold Ramis. Caps our uh, brief Harold Ramis... Uh, Non-Ghostbusters series. <laughs> Non-Ghostbusters series. Uh, written by John Hughes, based on his short story. I feel like we should start with that. Sure. Did you have time to read it? I did. What I did. tell me what you thought? It's uh, I was really well. Two things. <laughs> One, I was kind of surprised by how similar so much yes. of it was. Yes, 
it was like a straight uh, translation from that to the screen. Um, and two, I was also surprised by just kind of how much darker it goes. Oh, man. Particularly the end. And I just have to read this this passage. We sort of forgot about Dad as soon as the engines on the airplane trembled and sputtered and moved us around in a graceful arc, then nosed up into the sky. Our hearts pounded with excitement as we watched L.A. shrink below us. We drank Coca-Cola and sailed over the desert valleys that we had fought our way across just the day before. We enjoyed sandwiches as we flew into the pollen-free Arizona air. Isn't it marvelous? Mom sighed. She exhaled and shook her head. It seems foolish now to drive when you can fly. Maybe this will be the way to see the country. Look down there below us, children. Uh, they just left their dad in jail, Andy. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't. Uh, you didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> that was because. <laughs> The, I mean, it takes place, uh, instead of Wally World, they go to Disneyland, and Disneyland is closed. And then they go track down Walt Disney, and he ends up shooting Walt Disney in he the leg. shoots Walt Disney. And that's why he's going to jail. And then they leave their dad in jail. And that line is so heartbreaking. We sort of forgot about dad as the engines of the airplane. The police let us say goodbye to dad. I felt really sorry for him especially when he kissed me and said that he'd hoped I'd had at least a few minutes of fun on our vacation. <laughs> it's it is much darker. Like, I mean, his dad, I mean, it really Rusty is the is the protagonist of the story and it's kind of loosely based on John Hughes's a road trip that his family actually took when he was a kid is what I understand. Um but like the dad really goes off the rails throughout this. Like there's a point when um, after he's stolen money from uh, the hotel, the police are chasing him, and he gets Rusty to jump into the back seat and start like chucking stuff out of the back window, trying to, to wreck police cars, right, so that they can get away from the cops, which they do. It's uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why they didn't keep all that in there. The dad seemed a lot more, um, uh, I don't know, I, I a lot more determined to make this happen. Um, in a way that allowed for him to be kind of a, a darker fa- father figure. Whereas I think the Clark Griswold that Chevy Chase is, portrays is much uh, more, I don't, I don't want to say buffoonish, but he's definitely, you know, he just kind of goes with it, but there's plenty of things that happen because he's just not completely uh, paying attention, I suppose you could say. The the story that I read, Vacation 58, was much more the story of Michael Douglas's character in Falling Down uh, than of Chevy Chase's character in the vacation on screen, and and that I think is is really telling. Like it's funny, but it's funny and dark when you read it. And there is there isn't the darkness that we get on on screen in in the uh, in the Lampoon film. No, no, definitely some uh, Lampoon lewdness, but uh, yeah, it's not the darkness that this yeah. version has. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll put this definitely in the show notes so people can uh, read it themselves. Yeah, worth it. it. It really is worth it. it ta- it'll take you 20, 20 minutes to get through it, and it's it's really worth seeing how this thing came about, because it really is. That's the thing that really struck me the most, that it is the story of the film. It's just if you take every choice that you that you have in the text and turn it into something and, and just reverse the perspective— you know, yeah. it, and and go for the funny. It, it's the funny is buried in there, but it's mostly super dark, and 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 it's about kids who are generally a little bit scared of their dad uh, <laughs> because he really is angry. He's really angry, 
And yes. and you don't get the anger. You get the crazed bit of Chevy Chase. I think that's what makes Clark Griswold on screen um, so affable, is that he's crazy. He's crazy and kind of over overwhelmed in the way all our dads got overwhelmed. Um, you know, and, and uh, it, it's like John Hughes's dad uh, got overwhelmed and mad. And that's... That's what I think. Why I think the, the Clark, movie works so well. Yeah, Clark is is crazy because he loves his family so much and yeah. wants to make this fun thing happen for them. Right. You know, right. whereas uh, this dad, is, I mean, he's same thing. He's trying to make this vacation happen, but it's more just about him. It's almost like he's made this plan in his head and by gum, he's going to make it happen come hell or high water. And he you know, would do it with so anybody's much. family. Right. <laughs> right. He doesn't yeah. care as long as he makes it happen. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the family, played by Chevy Chase, uh, Beverly D'Angelo, is Ellen Griswold, uh, Dana Barron, as Audrey Griswold in her first of two portrayals of the character, and uh, Anthony Michael Hall uh, as in his only portrayal of Rusty. Yeah. That's, you know... <laughs> I think that is a very funny thing about the uh, vacation franchise. It, that it became the chi- funny, the kids, yeah. Yeah, the kids have changed every <laughs> single time. And I think it was, I want to say it was uh, Vegas Vacation where he kind of, where <laughs> Clark looks at his kid, Rusty and Audrey and looks at them and almost does a double take like, <laughs> like, who are you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I think I think it's fair. I think it's true that the that Audrey is the only one to have been played twice by the same person. But we sort of disavow the fact that Christmas Vacation to Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure ever happened. <laughs> I tried yeah. to find it. I tried so hard to 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 find an easy way to view it, and and it's. Uh, it's I, I you can rent the DVD from Netflix, but yeah. no, uh, I didn't. That was that was too motivated hard. enough to do that. <laughs> Not quite going to happen. Yeah. So uh, last week, I've sort of been leading up to my opinion of the film. I did. I, I watched it recently. I watched it again today. And my opinion still generally holds uh, that it is it's paced much more slowly than I remember. The great the greatest of the funny bits uh, are few and far between. Um, it is imminently quotable, uh, but pretty slowly paced. Uh, it's just not as frenetically funny as my memory would have me have it. Uh, and that was disappointing. I recognize that's mostly me. Uh, I did enjoy watching it again today. And, and what I like so much about it, and I think comparing it to um, to even the other vacation movies, um, and, and obviously I, I'm not a big fan of European vacation or Vegas vacation. I'm a huge fan of Christmas vacation. And I think where that film and this film succeed is that they do have a lot of heart, um, even as they're, you know, body and a little bit filthy. And um, generally they're, they're filled with a lot of heart. And I think that's one of the things that allows it um, to be just sort of charmingly funny throughout. Yeah, and I would agree with you on that point. I think that's uh, very true of the four, well, f- four of the five that we're talking about. I mean, that we didn't really mention the most recent one where which, Rusty's grown up and takes the trip. And I, I which is seen not a lampoon. It's not a National Lampoon film, even. Yeah, I don't think it is. Yeah. It's still part of the franchise, but yeah, it's not a National Lampoon film. Right. Very, um, very controversial, um, you know, connection. Right there, so uh, yeah, and you know, I I want to see that one. I'll have to 
uh, rent that one and check it out. I was hoping I could get it done before mm-hmm. we got to this, but I didn't. Um, but that being said, I agree with you. I have so much more fun watching this film and Christmas Vacation than I do watching European or Vegas Vacation. I, those These two are the ones that really uh, stand out to me. And for me, I, I kind of am a little more um, a fan of this film than you are. This is the one that, to me, um, really is the one to watch. Like, and I don't know, I, I don't find it slow paced at all. Like everything about this film, I feel is just so perfect. This for me is just one of my favorite comedies. I can just watch this and laugh from beginning to end. I don't know if it's because I took very similar road trips to this as a kid with my with my parents. I don't know if it's because <laughs> I have probably... taken trips like this with my wife and my kids. It's probably like... the same reason I don't like it. I took too many trips <laughs> like this. And just uh, just everything. I mean, my wife and I were watching this and, and moments that uh, reflect our own road trips. You know, she would look at me and I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe that that just, you know, that's totally exactly what we <laughs> we just did in our last trip. <laughs> it's very funny. And so uh, um, I love it. Everything about it, I think, is just spot on perfect. I don't find any of the pacing slow. I think everything is uh, just rock solid and uh, comedy gold all the way through. All right. All right. I, I, I wouldn't call it comedy gold, but I did chuckle. <laughs> you know, and, and okay, so let's, let's dig into it. I have, I have two challenges, and I'm going to I'm gonna bring up those challenges in relation to, one, in relation to the text, Vacation 58, and two, in relation to Christmas Vacation. Uh, and, and they both deal with the end of the film. So let's talk about everything we need to talk about to get us to the end so that we can really get to it. Okay. All right. So where would you like to start? You want to start with Clark, with Chevy? Sure. Yeah. Um, This was uh, a period where he really needed um, some more hits. I mean, he had done a great bit uh, for the one year on Saturday Night Live, and then he made six years, or six films, excuse me, from the time he left SNL in 76 and 1982. Only two of those actually were successful, Foul Play and Caddyshack, and uh, everything else he just wasn't uh, wasn't doing that great with, so he really needed a hit. And, of course, he had worked with uh, Harold Ramis before, and uh, Harold thought he would be great as this uh, this patriarch of the Griswold family. And thank heavens for all of us, uh, they made that decision because he is just perfect. He was born to play Clark, Clark Griswold. I can't even say the name right now. And, um, and I love that he really, it seems to have kind of connected with this character who, I mean, it's completely different from who Chevy Chase really is, but I love that Chevy has really kind of found that connection with this character and has really purposefully continued being this character in every iteration that has come through. Yeah, it is a very natural uh, role for him, but it's it's one that you could sort of see him beginning to cultivate as Ty Webb, you know, and I, I think that connection is pretty is pretty clear. It's that natural sort of willful obliviousness. Um, and and you see that that again when he's in in sequences when he's alone on screen, uh, for example, I, I compare him trying to um, uh, trying to find the gas tank to the family truckster, right? Uh, where he's he like looks at the side of the 
of the car and just starts stabbing it with the nozzle of the of the gas tank. Like that is that's willfully obtuse. Like there's nothing to see there, um, and it it reminds me of of these sequences in in uh, um, you know in Caddyshack. You know when he's trying to trying to deal with the lotion. You know in that love scene. It's just that sort of crazed obliviousness that I think he does so well, and I think he just masters in in Clark Griswold. Uh, and boy, did this ever launch him into, uh, you know, taking that character to these great new places. I mean, everything he does after that really is a variation on a theme, right? From, uh, and except for Fletch, but still kind of Fletch. Right, still, yeah. You know, um, it, that that would be more the the more sophisticated of the characters, but they're all these sort of comic buffoons. Uh, European Vacation, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos. I mean, they're all that guy. Uh, and I think it's um, I think it's just a great great scene. It's tough to watch people talk about Chevy Chase and to watch Chevy Chase talk about himself in this film, even because, man, he's just really full of himself. Yeah. Yes and no. I, I also think that he's just a guy who has a hard time taking things seriously, and like when he's being asked questions in interviews, like. I, I, you know, he just has a hard time giving straight answers because I, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's just him just being uh, either disinterested in it or he just doesn't really, you know, click with that sort of stuff. You know, yeah. I don't know. And, you know, I probably shouldn't say it that way because I, you know, I don't know. He comes off as full of himself, but he also comes off as somebody who has a really difficult time being vulnerable. Uh, you know, I mean, he's the the way he talks about where comedy comes from in this movie and some of the interviews that I was watching, you know, there was an interview with the it was the the like Vanity Fair kind of the cast reunites after so many years and and uh, and hearing him talk about where the comedy comes from. It's it is, you know, you only get a few answers out of him before he literally falls out of the chair. <laughs> well, and I think that it, I think that does make sense. I mean, I think a lot of people especially funny people seem to have a hard time kind of focusing in on those sorts of things and they're good at being funny and they can handle that. But when it comes time to being serious and actually talking about it and kind of analyzing it, it's a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see that. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I, it's a funny thing about him too, because he, he still, I, I still love the the character that he this this version of Clark Griswold that he brought to Community, and it was a, a contentious um, extension uh, of his career on that show, and it was still super funny. Uh, and yet, he and and Dan Harmon had similar sorts of issues together, and and it didn't didn't take. So, hmm. um, anyway, Chevy Chase. Yes, he's he's great. I just, uh, I really love him. And Beverly D'Angelo, I've got to say, they are so good as just like a married couple on screen. Like, and they've done it enough times. I, mean, I don't know how many times they've done it now in all the different iterations of Vacation, including that little short film, uh, Hotel Hell Vacation, which I haven't seen, but I found on YouTube and I'm hoping to watch as soon as we're done here. Um, a little short that's featuring them trying to go visit uh, Russ in wherever he is living. And, uh, I think that's just uh, uh, great that they have kind of found this chemistry and continue working together as this married couple. I think that she is so um, perfect to play off of him. She is a fascinating person. I I had I don't feel like I've seen much of anything else uh, that I ever noticed her in. 
And yet now, looking at her talking about this film, she's got 110 credits. 110 yeah, credits. She was in uh, She was in Annie Hall. I, I didn't know she was in Annie Hall. She was in uh, Every Which Way But Loose. Who, was, who knew she was in Every Which Way But Loose? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, I think hair is one of the big things that she was in back then. Coal Miner's Daughter. Mm-hmm. The House Bunny. I had no memory of any of these things. None. Just crazy. And and it is, uh, you know, that's what you get for somebody who is uh, it has become sort of that iconic comic mom. She is the uh, ultimate straight man to Chevy Chase's um, wackadoo. And then there's American History X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. There was the anti-vacation. Yeah, that's the other one. Yes. No, I think that uh, she's uh, wonderful in it, and yeah. I I have a great time watching them on screen. And I just love that it's it's a like an actual married couple that has like a, a a sex life. I think that's great about this couple is that they feel like a married couple that still really loves each other, yes. and are interested in each other. Yes, absolutely, and they make it the the butt of such awkward uh, humor in <laughs> yes, the film that it makes it feel weirdly at home <laughs> yeah. yes <laughs> it's all the more real <laughs> oh yes <laughs> uh yeah you know that the the vibrating bed scene is uh is one of some legend i i found it amusing that the vibrating bed scene didn't really vibrate uh that it was actually just some crew under the bed while just they shaking were it around, just yeah. shaking the bed and uh that that actually cracked me up quite a bit because it really looks very compellingly like a machine they did a great job yes they do well it's like those doors in star trek you know same yeah. thing <laughs> that's right that's right that's right oh, that's uh so the funny. kids uh anthony michael hall and dana baron anthony michael hall this this gave him really everything this really did this was the film that uh pretty much set him uh set him loose and gosh i i really uh I, I don't know. There's something about him in this film that I think I really connected to as a kid. And even though I really wasn't a, a John Hughes fan as a kid, it was a weird science for me that uh, I think was the next big um, film that he was in that I did kind of really connect with, even though it was John Hughes. That, that to me was like that film and me were like, that's my guy. Totally, totally. Uh, and I, I don't know though. I, I mean, between Anthony Michael Hall uh, and and what's his name, who was Wyatt? Do you remember yeah. him? Yeah, Ian uh, Ian Mitchell Smith. Yes, those two guys were uh, they were absolutely my best friends. And of here, course, here. so was Kelly LeBrock. Uh, yes, she. Oh, yes, all three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that was the one that that also did it for me too. But uh, you know that that whole string of of films, you know that sort of trilogy or the trio of films from Sixteen Candles to Breakfast Club and Weird Science. That was that was very much the Anthony Michael Hall phase, and and I think he he absolutely nails the the sort of the awkward geek. And I think that those were great great years for him. Although interestingly, um, you know the way he has grown up, Dead Zone was an absolutely terrific television show. It was. I mean, we uh, talked about the movie and ended up not being as crazy about it. But the TV show itself, I thought, was a better iteration of 
of that story that very, Stephen King wrote. Right, very much as a result of him playing that character. He was such a wonderful stoic as as Johnny Smith that uh, that I think he just made it so much more interesting. Um, and and it you know it was on for a good long time. Yeah, uh, good five five six years something like that. So, anyhow, mm-hmm. uh, so Anthony Michael Hall, uh, Dana Barron. Uh, as the sister, they I think they just did uh, uh, one of the things, and I was an only child, so I didn't understand this. Uh, you could probably comment on it better than I. Uh, I think as siblings, they uh, they did a great job of making that sort of comic, uh, yet uh, really frustrated rivalry uh, very real on screen. And it reminds me very much of my own kids now. Yeah, I um, I do have a sister, and it definitely was exactly what sibling rivalry uh, feels like, and just everything from fighting in the back seat to uh, tattling on each other, like everything about it just felt really good. Or, or you know, being pals as, when you're trying to like avoid your parents or whatever it was, it all felt very real in this film, and I really enjoyed the way that uh, these two got along. And I just I always enjoyed her. I thought she was great in this film. You know, she really felt like a sister. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was interesting. She was uh, she was two years older than Anthony Michael Hall, and I think yet he was portrayed as the older brother. Yeah, probably the, just because he was taller. Yeah, just because he was taller. Um, so the story behind them not coming back to do European Vacation mm-hmm. apparently is a story of him being busy uh, doing uh, Weird Science, which was a weird anomaly of schedule because it came out after some of those other films, as far as I understand. Um, and they made a production decision saying, if we can't have Anthony Michael Hall as Rusty, then we need to find two new kids. We're not going to have one of them come back and the other one not. Uh, and so it ends up being uh, kind of a frustration of history that they they didn't come back, but also a, a little bit of a gift to the series uh, in terms of the comedy. Yeah, so, it... it- Right, it became that running joke that yeah. I think is is very fun. Unintended consequences. Exactly. And I do, you know, it's one of those things, because I, I would love to have seen these two stick with it, just like uh, just like Chevy and uh, Beverly have. And it'd be great to see that new vacation movie that came out with uh, Anthony Michael Hall uh, helming it. But, uh, it, you know, it ended up working where Ed Helms, who's probably a funnier person of the two... <laughs> Nothing against Anthony Michael Hall and his in his comedy level, but uh, Ed Helms has certainly proven his comedy track record. Surely. So, uh, speaking of comedy, oh, mm. crazy Randy! <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Randy Quaid, man! If he did, if that's a this isn't an example of manifest destiny, I don't know what is. I know it really. It's just like, it's like he wasn't born to play this role. He was born this role. He was born this role. And he is, he's just gone bonkers. Uh, and and uh, I, I don't know if we could fairly say it started here, but uh, boy. Uh, is he, yeah, where, what's he doing now? Is he is he uh, still on the run? Is he uh, serving time he, somewhere? <laughs> well, I, I heard he was in Canada at some point, and he was, he was hiding there, but... Um, it's not good. No. Uh, <clears throat> I think he's, I, I actually think he has come, oh, man, I, I don't know. The last thing I heard was that if he came back, he was going to be arrested. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, he, but then just, it felt like just the other week, somebody said, oh no, Randy Quaid's back in the country. And I, I don't know. 
I don't know. He's not doing well. He's he's a big conspiracy theorist, and um, and uh, he's he's no longer, uh, I think, uh, acting. Yeah, hasn't been so in anything much. since two thousand nine. Yeah, balls out, Gary, the tennis coach. Uh, in ah, two thousand nine, yes. uh, capping off hundred and fifteen credits, uh, and that's when he that's when he kind of had to leave. I don't know why they call this stuff hamburger helper. Just <laughs> does, does just fine on its own. <laughs> I prefer it to tuna helper myself. <laughs> yeah, uh, he is. Uh, he's he's such an interesting fellow, and uh, <laughs> I just I'm always curious to see if there's going to be another Randy Quaid uh, project out there at any point because he is a he's such an interesting character. He's, he's such a, a weird guy. He's an interesting character who's taken a character and. He became a, a cultural icon, right? I mean, he became a, a family name. As a, there is always a cousin Eddie, and, yeah, right. And I think for those of a certain generation, cousin Eddie means something, right? It it becomes a milestone for measuring the the sort of wholeness of your family, um, and and I think that's a I think that's interesting um, that 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 has come out of Christmas Vacation and or of, of Vacation of the series, Vacation. Uh, in addition to many other things, but that is a real standout cultural icon, the role of Cousin Eddie, um, who is the the sort of uh, hillbilly character. Um, it, you know, it, it's funny, too, I think, Cousin Eddie, when you compare Harold Ramis talking about the St. Louis sequence, mm-hmm. uh, his this is the sequence where the car, they, they get lost and they look... They're they're looking for help to get back on the highway and and they are um, you know they stop and there's a there is a funny exchange between Chevy Chase and uh, a group of the uh, black neighborhood guys and and um, uh, it it's funny because it's a fish out of water sequence and they take advantage of him and they steal uh, they steal all the hubcaps off the car and they tag the car they graffiti the car they take him for his money they don't really help him get back on the highway the car is a disaster and Harold Ramis says that's the that is the sequence that that he regrets shooting it dehumanizes everybody in the scene um, and and in that same respect I I wonder about. Uh, sort of the cousin Eddie character because it's it's a dehumanizing character too. It's a stereotype that that goes um, that's super funny and it's it's a bridge pretty far. Yeah, I can see your point. That's that's actually a pretty interesting point. Um, I don't know. I maybe it's uh, because he's given more screen time to have a, a more fleshed out character that uh, it becomes less of that, whereas the St. Louis scene is just so short, it uh, it really just turns everybody into stereotypes. This, I mean, he's definitely a stereotype, but at the same time, we have more of him, and I, I know it doesn't necessarily tie into this film directly, but, I mean, he was in Christmas Vacation, he was in Vegas Vacation, he had the Christmas Vacation 2 Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure sequel, so he's definitely a character that did get more... Um, screen time in this series and so had more chance to develop so he wasn't just the stereotype of the you know the uh, family member that everyone was kind of embarrassed about well and I, I to your point I think it was Christmas vacation that allowed us to see his true sensibility I think he's pretty much you know not to coin a phrase lampooned the entire way through this film through his appearance in this film and it's not until really we get to see him 
uh, you know, offering his Christmas list to Clark in Christmas vacation, you know, and he rolls out the toilet paper list and, and, uh, but, but talks about how, uh, how important it is for him to, to give his family and give his kids a good Christmas, uh, even if he's going to take advantage uh, a little bit too far of the kindness of, of Clark. I think we get to see his heart kind of leaked out in that scene, and and that gives him a little bit more humanity. And this in this film, I, I just don't see that. Um, and I'm I still I'm <laughs> he's so funny, you know, real tomato ketchup, Eddie. Um, I, it every I, I mean everything he says is a is a line worth quoting. Nothing but the best, Clark. She was born without a tongue, Clark. But don't worry about her. She whistles like a bird and eats like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yes that too. Uh, oh my now i you know i can see your point i think it's actually pretty interesting uh but i don't know it's i'm i'm at odds i guess because in a film where so many scenes end up doing the exact same thing with other people car salesmen for example um oh eugene levy yeah it's 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 uh i mean that's i think the nature of some of this nature the type of comedy that's going on here especially when it's a road trip and it's all such you know here's a scene here and then we go down the road and have a scene here and then we go down the road and have a scene here even christy brinkley is essentially the same you know cardboard stereotype that uh, we expect of a model okay but christy brinkley right i have a hard time uh, uh, going along with a comparison to Christy Brinkley to the down-and-out hillbilly stereotype who is just dead broke and uh, and uh, potentially abusive to the family. And, you know, you know what I mean? Like, she's, she's driving a Ferrari and, uh, you know, so she's no, stereotypically I... attractive. Okay. Well, that's all I'm saying is that they're stereotyping characters for I think ease that, in a comedy. But for ease in a comedy, absolutely true. But I think you know the better comparison would even be Bill Murray and Caddyshack, right? If that isn't a stereotype of some of of mental illness, of potential mental Ill- illness, I think I don't know what else really is. Um, and, <laughs> and we're sort of lampooning this. Uh, we're lampooning this character for his deficiencies. Yes, right. That's what we're doing, and and nobody is lampooning Christy Brinkley because she's hot. No, no, I suppose not. So uh, that that's all I'm saying. And I think that's what makes Randy Quaid's character in this an, an icon. And it makes him that icon, that comic icon that's, you know, worth laughing about, just like we did with Bill Murray. Um, and I just, it, and really, honestly, I, I don't want to, I, I, we've already said too much on this. We seriously have. But I just raised the point because Harold Ramis made the point about dehumanizing everybody in the scene for for lampooning what is otherwise a deficiency of poverty, right? Poverty and crime in St. Louis, and that was that was made a punchline in this film. Well, and yeah, that's and, the kind of film it, it is, and that's okay. Yes and no. In, I in mean, some uh, in some regard, if we're going to accept the reality of this film, that's what it is. But at least let's let's call a spade a spade and see that you know there are a lot of these characters where we're lampooning their social deficiency. That's all. Yeah, I I I, I see your point, but at the same time, they're doing it with an entire community, which is like you know all of a sudden it's the entire African American community of St. Louis that is like you know poor and and criminal. Yeah. And I think that's why he's uncomfortable with it. And I mean, I it's it's probably my least favorite scene in the film too cuz it's I mean, 
I do think it's funny the way that that conversation ends up going with the character that he's speaking with. But at the same time, I'm just like, yeah, I'd be okay if they cut that out. The only reason it ends up funny is because sort of we, the, the, uh, the majority, right? The middle-aged white guys, um, get to laugh at the fact that the black guys walked away with the hubcaps. They got the hubcaps and the cash. Like well, there is a power and they don't help him at all. And they don't, yeah, you know, that's exactly my point. That's, they that's don't the help part him I at think all, is the right? funniest. That is so like, funny. Go to there and ask my brother. I'm not, I'm on vacation here. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even from this part of town. Yeah, uh, uh, right. I, and so I, I am with Harold Ramis on that. And I'm with you. I, that's a sequence that I don't think it, it does. It is so incredibly dated um, yes. that it's, it's kind of loses its impact. Yes. All right. Enough about that. Yes. How about old women? <laughs> Let's R- talk am I old right? <laughs> Imogene Coca. <laughs> oh, she's good. As Aunt Edna uh, had a difficulty playing the role because she thought she was she she wouldn't be able to play uh, a character that was so mean. Right. Right. Luckily, the producer convinced her that no, 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 you are such a good actress that you could play anything, and uh, and so she agreed and did it and. And uh, yes, in infamy now, in infamy. She, uh, boy, talk about uh, an incredible character actress. She has fewer uh, individual credits, uh, but she was on uh, your show of shows with Sid Caesar. So she, she certainly was. She was one of the greats uh, in in terms of uh, sketch actress uh, and uh, part of a great legacy of television comedy. Uh, Imogene Coca, such a unique face. Yeah, and she just, she is so awful as Aunt Edna. I just have so much fun watching her and just listening to everything she says. She's just great in this role. And um, yeah, I'm so glad that they ended up getting her in this film. She also, aside from being uh, concerned about being so mean, she hated being in cars. I guess she had, I think she had been in an accident at some point when she was younger. And so she was kind of terrified of car rides. And of course, they wanted her to go on this car ride across four states with them as they filmed this movie and she had a really hard time she was very uncomfortable with it but she she managed to plow through and make it happen thank god we should talk a little bit about the dog yes i was gonna say we have to bring the dog up if we're talking at end right now and this is another a point of divergence between the original vacation 58 and the film uh, so at this point, uh, the iconic sequence where uh, Chevy Chase is uh, absentmindedly packing things into the car and he le- latches the dog's leash to the bumper of the car and forgets about the dog and, and drives uh, many, many miles, uh, uh, dragging the dog behind him. is eventually pulled over by uh, James Keach, younger brother of Stacy, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he uh, goes into their, their scene of, of woe. Uh, about the dog that tried to keep up for the first half mile or so. Now, in the original text... Poor little pooch. <laughs> original text, the dog was still on the leash. Yeah, and and Harold Ramis was actually planning on doing that initially, and then people had to talk him down. They're like, you know, that's probably a little too much. And, and then he agreed smartly, because 
I can only imagine if he walked behind and they had a you know a carcass attached to the bumper with right? a giant red streak down the highway. Oh well, my goodness! And what did I read? One of the uh, one of the bits on um, uh, that they had planned for the poster was the car on the high on the open highway with a giant red streak trailing behind it of <laughs> the dog's oh, carcass and blood on the road. Oh my That's- goodness horrible that is so dark that is so (laughs) So... dark oh man uh it's and yet really really funny yeah it just is one of my favorite scenes uh watching uh james keach and chevy chase behind the car as they're talking that conversation is so great one because just everything they're saying which was loosely improvised is so funny and two especially once you've kind of learned a little bit about the making of the film, you know that these two guys are doing everything they can to stop, to avoid laughing and to, to make sure they just don't uh, break character and, and ruin the take. And it's just so funny to watch these two guys. It's just it's just absolutely fantastic. It is really good. Now, I think at that point, this is the point where the film really starts to like slow down for me. Is it because they go to Phoenix, Pete? Is that why? Is it a thing against me? You got something going on here? Just say it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I'm Phoenixist. (laughs) I knew it. Uh, You know, doesn't it just slow down the whole desert? I do love the beer sequence between him and, and that was between him and, uh, you know, my dad shared a beer. It was the greatest thing in the world. And that was all improvised. That was a great, just great instinct on the part of Anthony Michael Hall to chug the beer. And then he, we do the walk across the country, or across the desert, and and uh, rumors of a of a, a deleted scene with a camel that was raised in captivity and didn't know how to handle the desert. <laughs> was a, couldn't handle stepping in sand. <laughs> That's great. Oh my! That was cut. You know, maybe that would have made it better. Maybe not. But it just ends up being really boring. I I'll give it to you. I that scene, just that one scene of him in the sand dunes. Uh, maybe I, it's not my least favorite. I'd still stick with the St. Louis bit, but um, I do uh, I do find that it slows down a little bit. But it's so short, it doesn't really phase me that much. Because then we're with the tow truck guys, Mickey Jones and John Deal, who I think are just fantastic, and they take him for all of his money. And you know, I I think that bit's great. And then we get the Grand Canyon, which is great. Every you know, all the rest of it's great. It's just that one you know thirty second bit. Yeah, it's just I, that's what I mean. I I feel like the rest of the stuff coming after that until they get to Wally World is a little bit of a retread, and then Wally World is I have all sorts of other problems with Wally World. Interesting, uh, interesting. isn't it? It is interesting. So tell me, tell me the stuff between here and there that you really that you really love because I didn't. Oh, you know what? We have to one more thing. Jane Krakowski. Oh, she's great. <laughs> and uh, you can tell from an early age she was meant for comedy. Gold. You know, being a farmer isn't all that cool. <laughs> Well, Daddy says I'm the best. <laughs> that is oh my awful. That is just so I didn't wrong. I didn't understand how awful it was until I had children. That is awful. <laughs> so dark. It's so it, the weirdest thing is knowing that John Hughes was behind this yes. because I, I and I know that Chevy Chase and Harold Ramis kind of. Uh, went into the script and did modifications, which I think John Hughes wasn't super happy about. I think one of the reasons that he wanted to direct was because of that. But I think that um, I, I, I still just am shocked that this script came from his mind. I guess knowing that 
uh, you know, Vacation 58. And having read that, I, I can see that he definitely has that darkness. I just never have seen it in his films because he doesn't really go there. Oh, it's so much more clear now. You're absolutely right. Like, I feel like we we just, I just, at least for myself, uncovered the sort of creative DNA that that uh, brought us the more of the darkness and more of, I think, the intention of so many of his other films. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Your next point, sir. Um, I love all of the bit with uh, leaving Aunt Edna at uh, at Cousin Normie's house. I think that's hilarious. And the, I, I love that it's kind of this slow breakdown of this vacation as, as things are just kind of keep uh, dovetailing and spiraling into uh, just, you know, awfulness. And I think that the funeral scene for her is hilarious. I love how <laughs> everything is devolving. And even the bit with Christy Brinkley, I think, is great. I mean, I, that's just a classic bit as he's, you know, foolishly at this point where he's he's basically ready to just bail on his family and is going to jump into the pool and screw around with this hot model and uh, luckily, the cold water saves him from his uh, foolish decision. <laughs> but I mean, that bit is so good, and uh, and I don't know. It's just a a, a key part of this film, and uh, I can't imagine it not being here. Well, it is. It it's a it's the part that brings us back into the gravity of his sort of familial situation. Uh, it, you know, it takes a break from the comedy a little bit because when you when he is discovered. When everybody comes out on their balcony and and he yeah. has to explain sheepishly to his son what was going on, uh, and and the pool waitress, <laughs> yeah, right, the pool waitress swimming with girls, dad, uh, and, and so I, you know, in in that respect, I, I that's that's where you start to see some of that, uh, a little bit of that, um, a little bit of that heart again, you know, where you get to to find him trying to make good with his wife, and it's brief, um, and and her response is is terrific. Uh, if if not a little bit, you know, saccharine uh, to then, you know, say, come on and go out to the pool. Well, yeah, saccharine or, or maybe a little too forgiving. Yeah, think, too fast. I think that, that might be that might be my biggest issue with it. But that being said, I again, going back to the fact that I love this relationship between these two characters and the fact that she is willing to to just try to you know do something to kind of keep that spark go going in their relationship you know? I think that's fun. the thing, though. To that point, and I, you're right. I mean, I say saccharine, and I what I mean is what you said uh, is is that it's too fast. And I think the reason I have a problem with it is because I think so much of the comedy is rooted in reality, and I know that I would never have been forgiven that quickly in that kind of a scenario. Oh, sure. And I know that I could have. There could have been a lot more comedy out of more contention in the relationship, right? More of that conflict. Um, and and because that's the only part where we have any sort of conflict of him um kind of that is that is obviously sort of man against family right where he's sort of turning his back on his family and and that conflict i think is really interesting most of it is just sort of him against the world and everybody else is just trying to to kind of sate him um but but it's that human tragedy of him forgetting who he is with his own family that is the most interesting and it's the shortest part of the film yeah, but it's the it's the dark end of the second act, right? It, and I think it works well in that context where we see him um, making some decisions that kind of lead him down that darker path away from his family. 
And, you know, it is the love of his family that really does kind of bring him back to it. So, I mean, it is short, but I do think in context of the film that we're watching, I do think that it still works mm-hmm. nicely. Back to Christy Brinkley real quick. I yeah. just want to say, aside from the fact that I, from this movie on, I've just been in love with her. But I love that she actually came back for Vegas Vacation. Even though it was like my least favorite of the series, I love that she still came back to be in one of the movies. I think that's great. And it weird, isn't it weird that she's like you see her on infomercials now, and she really hasn't changed a bit. She hasn't. That's, she's just it's great. inhuman. No, it is. It is. She's just gosh, she's gorgeous. And man, I feel bad. She's just so unlucky in love. But... Billy Joel, man, am I right? <sighs> Lush. So the, the the original end of the script, or I mean of the short story, they don't go to Disneyland. Right. They go to his house. Walt's house. To Walt Disney's house in the short story. And that's where he shoots him. And right. he is arrested and taken to jail. The original draft of the screenplay uh, that was shot, they go to, he gets the gun, he goes to... Uh, Beverly Hills to uh, Wally's, Roy Wally's house. And they make them dance, sing and dance Wally World songs. Right, to be entertained. They came to be entertained, and dadgummit, Roy Wally is going to give them the entertainment they came for. So they don't actually go to the park. They go to Roy Wally's house, and they tie him up and make him sing and dance, like a singing, dancing moose. Monkey. Monkey, yes. (laughs) Moose monkey. Moose monkey. And that was the film, right? That was the the film. In the end, they fly home, and that was the end of the film. And it it apparently didn't test well. It definitely carried through the darkness of the, the intended story, but it didn't test well. And so they came back four months later and shot the park stuff, right? Introduced yes. John Candy, um, and and now we have this whole new thing. Four months later, after Anthony Michael Hall's gone through puberty, grown four inches, uh, and as as Dana Barron says, everybody lost their tans because they, of course, is four months after their big road trip, and they they'd finished, and so it they just looked different. But to me, that is a that is a pivot in the film that is palpable, right? I just I didn't know any of that stuff until today. And now it makes sense why the end has always felt so dumb to me uh, and so hacked uh, on to the end of this film that it, it wasn't there. It wasn't intended. And, and all of this stuff, uh, all of the John Hughes intention, all of the original short story, it just reinforces the fact that, that we just lost, they, they lost the thread and uh, that the end of the film was ultimately, for me, uh, did did not prove to capitalize on on any of the goodwill that the rest of the film had earned. Uh wow. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> if they had kept that original ending in, I would have hated the film. It it's such a dark dark place that it goes to, and I just I would have not have been happy with it. I like it's so dark in the short. It just it doesn't. I mean, in the short in the short uh, story yeah. that he wrote. That just doesn't do it for me. And I love the way that they actually go to Wally World and they find the, this way to force themselves into the park and and enjoy all of the rides come hell or high water. And I just love that. I think it's so fun. And I've always loved just how that ended up playing out. John Candy and Frank McRae as the two uh, as the two guards. And I mean, John Candy is just so good as he has to go on all these rides with these guys. 
it just it works so well for me and these guys are just um I don't know. I guess it just fits with it still fits well in my mind with what uh Clark's intentions are and in trying to get to Wally World and take the family to Wally World and and the fact that he, you know, you know, buys this gun and this this uh, BB gun and gets these guys to let him in and go on all these rides. I think it's just so fun. And I, I don't know. I guess I, I'm a little shocked to hear you say that. Well, and, and this is so I'll, I'll say that with a bit of a caveat. I don't know what the right ending is, but I do agree with you that had they shot the, the short story, that would have been a disaster. Right. Because the tone of the film by now is very, very different than the rest of the tone of the short story. That's that's not the right ending. Um, What I'm saying is the way like I can feel like my sense memory of this film, I can feel the mechanics break down and them having to reshoot the ending. It feels tacked on to me. And that's the part that I that I have a problem with. Um, it is it is just sort of a mechanically different portion of the film. It's like a different film, and and I have a problem with that. So I don't know what the actual right ending is that would satisfy me. I, but I agree with you. It's definitely not what was originally shot. It's definitely not the short story. Uh, it but it's also for me, um, I, I, not the the flamboyant riding around on the on the rides over and over again it's just it's it's too frilly and it it doesn't give me a sense of uh, uh, it doesn't give me an opportunity to sort of redeem clark this gets me to my christmas vacation issue which i contend is the vacation movie that they meant to make from the very beginning because what we have in that movie is an opportunity to watch clark grow as a man grow in his relationship as he comes to understand his his place in the world uh in relationship to big business to his employer uh and he has something to really to really substantively stress about right i mean i i really understand his feeling to to be to be dealing with the weight of the holiday and the weight of financial pressures and the weight of being a father and a role model and a storyteller and all of these things and they come to fruition in his speech at the end of the film to his boss uh in a way that I, that allows us to to see him um, get his comeuppance and grow a little bit as a as a role model for his family, and the the story of vacation. And they do that in the context of this ridiculous comedy, and that's a great thing, right? We can do that. We can learn from ridiculous comedies. It's okay. And this film, it's a ridiculous comedy, and I and we don't get that sense of redemption in his place as a father. What he did was he got them to California, and that wasn't enough. For me, and okay. period. I'm I, finished. I mean, I, I, I can see your point. I still don't. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just me and my love for this film. It, do- I just find that it doesn't matter that much. He does have the little speech with Roy Wally, and I think that works nicely. It's not. You're right. It's not the same sort of speech that he gives in Christmas Vacation. Um, but that being said, I don't know. I, I guess. I find this film ends up still being more satisfying because of the uh, all of the development of the family over the course of the film. I just end up I end up uh, getting drawn to this film more still, and I I don't feel the ending feels tacked on. It feels uh, it feels a part of the whole, and it works well for me. And I think that um, the I, I do still find that the conversation he does have with Eddie Bracken uh, with Roy Wally at the end. 
um, does give him some redemption. And I do end up liking that, even though you're right. It's, you know, it's just basically him giving the speech to avoid having to go have charges pressed against him for having (laughs) broken into the park and gone on the rides. And uh, in contrast, in Christmas Vacation, it's him changing the world a little bit. Right. No, I mean, no, yeah. Right. I mean, there's there's actual change and growth in Christmas Vacation, whereas you don't get that here. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't know. I guess I wasn't. I, I guess I've never seen that. This is a film where they've been working to do that, and I feel the goal here was just to get to Wally World and and go. And I can see why you're saying that, and it makes perfect sense to me. That being said, I'm still going to pick this one over that one, and I'm going to still pick this ending over that one. Mister, if I had a rubber hose right now, I would beat you. <laughs> you know i okay you you have a list of random things i have some random things go with your random things eddie bracken awesome he is the perfect person to have cast to play a walt disney uh surrogate roy wally he is so good kind of unreal yeah, it's frightening how perfect he is to play that character. I mean, and he has been around since like the 30s and 40s. I mean, he's just been around forever. And um, just one of those faces that you see when you kind of go through the history of, of film and you look at, at the movies that were popular back then, Hail the Conquering Hero, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek. Those were a couple films that, uh, that he did with uh, old Preston Sturges. And Man, seeing him pop up in this film, I mean, he's just great. So absolutely love Eddie Bracken. Absolutely. Um, Dick Zyker, uh, stuntman, did that fantastic... uh, The family truckster (laughs) leap. The the giant jump, which uh, nobody thought it would go as far as it did, and uh, he won quite a number of bets for that. Um, He's just one of those stunt coordinators who has been around. I mean, he's been doing stunts since the 60s and coordinating stunts, uh, you know, I think since the, uh, the... early 80s and this was certainly toward the beginning for him but man i mean just looking at his credits i mean he's just been doing this so much stuff and i mean i think he's uh well he's i mean he was tom wilkinson's stunt double in the lone ranger just to say how recently he's still doing stunt work terminator 2 judgment day die hard fast and the furious i mean he's a guy who's been around forever so not a lot of stunts in this movie but the one that he did really i think um was worth it. Totally. That was a good one. And uh, what else? Victor Kemper, DP. Not mm-hmm. somebody who, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that anything in this really blows me away, but he certainly is a guy who's just knows how to shoot film to just make it work well for the story. I mean, Tommy Boy, Dog Day Afternoon, uh, you know, Jingle All the Way, even <laughs> Beethoven. I mean, he shoots a lot of stuff, and it it has a very kind of clean, clear look that just lets you focus on the story. I guess that's what I would say. Transparent. The last thing that I want to say, I don't know if I want to say it's one of my all-time favorite movie posters, but the uh, the Boris Vallejo poster for National Lampoon's Vacation has just been one of those iconic posters that has always stuck in my head. The image of Clark Griswold, the the buffed out. Chevy Chase with his legs spread holding the the tennis racket triumphantly with Beverly D'Angelo clutching one leg and Christy Brinkley uh, clutching the other leg and the dog and the snake and just everything about that poster is just so iconic and it's just a perfect 
kind of almost a spoof on the the fantasy work that Boris Vallejo would do, like Conan and stuff like that. And I just love that he ended up doing the poster for this movie and uh, and European Vacation too. But uh, he said that it actually. Um, the vacation painting has possibly been the sample painting that has brought me the most commissions of any other work that I have done. The uh, opening stills uh, in the opening credits, mm-hmm. uh, they're by a photographer, and I love photographers, uh, John Margolies, uh, who is, uh, he's a, a roadside photographer. And I, when I took my road trip, remember when I when I turned I 40? Do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was the guy that was in my head as I was driving those portions of Route 66, trying to find those old store storefronts. Luckily, not literally. That I did not literally have him in my head? Yes. <laughs> I guess you're right. That is a lucky thing. <laughs> uh, it, it, he has done some really fantastic work. I mean, the iconic pictures of the big dinosaur and the iconic pictures of the big ball of twine. I mean, he's done, he has shot all of the greatest um, uh, roadside attractions that you can possibly imagine. And so um, those are, that was his work. And many of them, many of those pieces weren't actually uh, postcards. They were actually just, uh, you know, recreated as postcards for the opening credits. But if you want to see his work, look up John Margulies. He's great. Um, and uh, let's see, uh, the family trucksters, uh, there were five of them. There is a Griswold family that has rebuilt one from scratch, and they drove it across country from Chicago to L.A. to uh, uh, commemorate the uh, one of the big recent birthdays. Uh, um, they went to do it to uh, ride that uh, roller coaster yeah, at Six before Flags they closed before it. it closed. Right, right. right. And that was on the yeah that was uh, that was a big deal and that still exists you can you can go see that so that was a thing that I put on my list of things that I might want to do I think I actually want to go get a picture of myself with the family truckster oh that'd be great right how did it do uh, it did it did well for itself this was uh, it obviously spurred a whole franchise here this uh, it cost fifteen million to make nineteen eighty three dollars which is about thirty five million today. Um, it ended up making domestically about 60, just over 61 million, which is about 144 million. So yeah, it ended up uh, making a, a nice profit, um, which ended up being about adjusted per uh, profit per finished minute of about uh, just over a million. So yeah, definitely did uh, did well for itself. Although it actually did not do as well as Stripes in our adjusted profit per finished minute breakdown. All right, let's rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, sign up for an account over there, and then you should start ranking movies, and you can start with our golden ticket list. You can actually go to our website and click on the flickchart button, and that'll take you to the golden ticket list. Start there, rank your movies, see how closely we line up. Let's do it. National Lampoon's Vacation or The Bad Seed. Vacation. Okay. Yeah. This is going to be one of those, isn't it? No, it's really it's really not. I was saying <laughs> okay. that just to get you, get you going. Oh, you. We'll see. Vacation, <laughs> vacation or eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Okay. Vacation. <laughs> really? Yes. No, I'm legitimately surprised. <sighs> it's vacation. I don't know. It's just, it's one of the best comedies. I mean, this to me is like that five-star comedy like you were talking about with Caddyshack. Wow. Okay. I mean, uh, Okay. All right, I'm, this is going to be a difficult one, but I'll give you that uh, a little only moderately grudgingly. Okay. National Lampoon's Vacation or The Innocents? Vacation. 
Wow. I'm on the edge of my seat here. (laughs) I'm with you on vacation on this one. Vacation or Brazil? (laughs) The line must be drawn here. And no further. Yes, Brazil takes it here. Pete. No, oh, yeah, no, Brazil. That was my that was my Jean Luc Picard way of saying <laughs> Brazil. Got oh, okay. Got sorry, I missed that. I uh, vacation that. or million dollar baby? Oh, definitely million dollar baby. It's a good movie, but it's not vacation. Oh, you are kidding me! <laughs> I. I'll million give you dollar, dollar baby. baby. I'll give you million dollar baby. Mine. I mine too. Mine too. I'm gonna try to remember that <laughs> because I'm gonna vote for million dollar baby here. <laughs> uh, vacation or the Matrix? The Matrix. Really? I'll I, I'll say the Matrix. I will say the Matrix. It is kind of a mind blowing film. Yeah. <sighs> vacation or the French Connection. <laughs> French connection, Andy. So much of this boils down to my laugh level. At no point. And there's there's no funny in the French connection. <laughs> At no point. Unless, does unless... Clark Griswold pick his toes in Poughkeepsie, Andy? <laughs> At no point. You're right. I will say the French connection. And you I would will be right. Agree with you. This is your favorite one to rank. Vacation or Fight Club? <laughs> Fight Club. Fight Club. <laughs> I'll give you Fight Club. I'll grudgingly give you five clubs. No, I, I, it's a good film. All right, number 27 out of oh 215. Goodness, that's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy that it didn't go higher. I, I did know. not see it getting that high. That's because you have Christmas vacation uh, love. And you... <laughs> I, would, you I, I would definitely, uh, well... I have to say, if we if we had just ranked Christmas Vacation against all of those other those movies we just saw, yeah, it would have been the same thing. I think that I, I know we don't have Christmas Vacation planned for next year's Christmas, but we should put that on for the year after. We should definitely talk about that one. We should absolutely. Yeah. Why have we not done that? <laughs> I don't know. That is bananas. I think we are generally trying to avoid the the obvious common yeah. obvious uh, Christmas movies. Well, now I want to. Well, now, now that, that we've, we've done, done this, this, I feel kind of obligated to. Yeah. So I'm totally okay with doing that. Man, you should unless see the... unless our <laughs> listeners <laughs> tell us no. You should see but, the uh... short story that came, that uh, Christmas Vacation came from. <laughs> you thought Krampus was dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely, uh, lovely, lovely. So, what would your star rating for this one be? You know, it's it's a square two and a half, three stars. I'll give you three stars. All right, because I'm a five star, so that will make the averaging easier. We'll put it right at four. <laughs> it's two and three eighths. <laughs> Son of a. <laughs> this was good. This was good. But, but, tis the season, Andy. Where do we go from here? Well, Pete, we are going to uh, have our little Christmas episode. And if we were thinking, we could have put Christmas Vacation in here. It would have been a logical thing to do. (laughs) So stupid. We are so stupid. Why did we not see that the pattern doth emerge? Who plans these things? Hath emerged. (laughs) But instead, we're doing Joe Dante's Gremlins, which is a wonderful little Christmas treat. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about that one. Me too, because my memory of it is that it is a wonderful Christmas treat, and I told my wife that we were watching it, and she said, ugh, I hate that movie. 
Really? What is with that? It's made me doubt my worldview a little bit. You disliking parts of vacation made me doubt my worldview. It happens, man. Uh, we should say, uh, by way of uh, warning, perhaps, uh, that before we get to Gremlins, just this weekend, we are going to be with probably most of you listening to this, and we are going to be seeing Star Wars The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. and we'll be doing a, uh, a, a film board episode. The film board gathers on uh, Saturday night this weekend, and I'll get that up as soon as we can if you are at all interested in what we think of that. Mm-hmm. I'm charmingly optimistic. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to bed. Well, you're tired. You get weird when you get tired, Pete. Amazon has uh, Amazon wrote me. Did they? They did. It. It. They. It, they. They. I don't know. Isn't it? Isn't it? Or in the UK, aren't you supposed to say they? <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't but know. Only I know it's UK, whatever though. it is. It's opposite what we do here. Right. Very. Very different. Anyway, Amazon hath written me uh, with this review from Pierre. De Vincentis, uh, which is a very recent uh, review, April 9th, 2015. His review is, I have a very good adult sense of humor. That is the title. I'm too old for this movie, 73. However, I have a very good adult sense of humor. This isn't even up to hangover type puerile humor. Very few laughable moments. Now, I'm not saying that's the most illustrative review, but it did make me wonder what my adult sense of humor will be like when I'm 73. <laughs> I think it's worth all of us thinking about that. Right, because Pierre has a very good it's adult very good. sense of humor. Yes. yes, yes. What's yours? I'm very curious. Four stars by The Boom Body. <laughs> I've seen this movie many times. It's pretty darn good. Few comedies are better, actually. Laughs at the beginning, middle, and end with some good theme music, too. I really enjoy that the boom body appreciates the theme music here. Still, even with little to no identifiable flaws, I don't see it as quite making the five-star list of perfection. It's very tough for a comedy to get there. The movie starts off with Clark Griswold's car getting smashed. Ouch! So he's forced into buying a piece of junk as a replacement. Funny already. They really want to go to Wally World, which sounds like a very cool place. Heck, I'm just as excited about Wally World as them. They stop by and visit some loser relatives, and Randy Quaid says two of my favorite quotes ever when they do. I'm not going to read those here. The movie remains unpredictable throughout. Then they finally get to Wally World, and there's a great Chariots of Fire type scene when they they arrive. Turns out, the theme park is closed. So the movie still remains unpredictable. Clark snaps, and it's funny. The film concludes with a happy ending, and the credits show a song entitled Dancing Cross the USA Plays. The film is a must-see. Still, it's rated R, so you have to be older to see it. Maybe that's why I didn't give it five stars. I'm tough on the R-rated movies, even though I thought the Beverly D'Angelo shower scene was a plus. (laughs) (laughs) 
Jeez. <laughs> this is just one of those movies. reviews that it it's was just a summary of the film. <laughs> it's a summary yet yet in a really strange way and that's why I picked it cuz it's just so it's the weirdest little review. Yeah. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no sense of beginning, middle and end. It just kind of it's more of a stream of consciousness. Around. It really is stream of consciousness <laughs> review, and you know. The film, there's... it concludes with a happy ending, like this review. <laughs> the review for the elderly, who are hard on our rating, rated movies. Thanks, Amazon. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that to my kids. You zippity-doo-dah over at that kitchen table. <laughs> Get zippity-doo-dah zippity... into the car. <laughs> I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>